just be upfront and honest that you're here to learn and you want to learn and that's people want to teach you know, that's one of the things i learned is that people in this industry really want to be able to teach you hi i'm mark gagne and i'm chris corcoran and you're listening to tech sales is for hustlers Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Colin Nushi, paying us a visit. It's been, it's been a while, Colin. Yeah, it has been. It's been about uh, five, six years, I think. A lot has changed around here since then. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's a... Uh, how many SDRs do you guys have now? I think when I was here, it was only in like the 20s or so. So in California, yeah, forty or fifty. Wow, that's that's crazy. <laughs> Very big changes, but I love the new office. Everything looks a lot nicer compared to when I was here. <laughs> I like the old office, but everyone, else, all the all the folks that worked at that office like this office better. So I, it's bigger. It's got more things. I definitely like the view. From that. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Parking's better here. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, <laughs> parking nervous. Don't get me started on that. That's what everyone says. All right, well, Colin, let's get into it, man. Uh, this is going to be interesting because you're doing some some things that I think a lot of people think about doing, but they don't ever get to talk to people who are doing it when they're early in their career at Memory Boost. So we'll get to that. Okay. The sales ops, the sales enablement, sales program perspective. But before we do that, just tell us, this is Chris and I, as much as for people listening, where you grew up, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Can do it. So yeah, I mean, I've pretty much lived in California most of my life. I've been in the Bay Area for about the last eight or nine years or so, but I originally grew up and born and raised in San Diego. So growing up there, I mean, I could say there's probably a few better places to grow up as a kid just because you're right on the beach. The weather is always perfect. Honestly, I couldn't have asked for a better place to be. But growing up for me, it was mostly, you know, I was an only child and it was uh, me and my mom. Most of the time she was a single mom. So she was doing a lot of working. She's amazing. I mean, she did a lot to really help make sure I had everything that I needed in my life and make sure that I was prepared for school, for college, everything and whatnot. But, you know, given that she was working so much, I think as a kid, I spent quite a bit of time kind of like on my own, mm-hmm. which kind of led to me, I think, having a bit of more of an independent personality. I tend to like to spend a lot of more time by myself. I'm kind of more just like a lone wolf, I guess, in that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that, too, is being on my own, I kind of led to develop this curious personality. Uh, you know, I like to try out a lot of different things kind of narrow before I narrow my focus on the one thing that I kind of do want to do. And I think that's kind of a theme that kind of goes throughout most of my earlier years until after, even I, from when I graduated college, I would say talk more about that later, obviously. Yeah. How did that manifest itself like in where you decided to go to school? Like, did you want to, and what you majored in? So that's the funnier story is that, so I think the way I kind of took approaching college a little bit more in an unorthodox way than other people did. I think usually I see one of two choices that people make when it comes to picking a college. It's either A, you go, you know what you kind of want to do. You have an idea of that career path and you pick a college based on one that really matches that. Or B, you kind of go with a college that you really like, whether it's in a good location, maybe it's a really good school that you just want to go to. I kind of chose the former. And I think for people who typically take that approach, they usually have historical precedent of I've done this. I know I want to do this. It's there, but I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really have that. I was the first person in my family to go to college. So there wasn't a lot of experience for me to draw on with this. So in kind of trying to choose what I really wanted to, to do, and this is kind of like, I kind of developed this like bullheaded personality of like, if I pick something, I'm just going to stick to it until I decide I don't want to. 
for me, I actually chose, I wanted to go with uh, game design as my original major. Okay. I was a really big gamer at the time. You know, I love video games. I love the different concepts in games. I thought I could really see myself trying to build things like this growing up. So that led to uh, the decision for me to only apply to one college. Okay. I'm all in, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, looking back, I probably I wish I'd kind of taken people's advice to not do that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it worked out in the end. I So UC Santa Cruz was the only school, I wanted to stay in California. It was the only school that really had a reputable game design program. And I ended up picking that one. And my backup option was really, if that didn't work out, I figure I'll go to junior college for a couple of years, save up some money, mm-hmm. save some money on loans, which would have been nice. But, uh, you know, luckily I ended up getting in, ended up going into the game design program and uh, dropped out <laughs> in the first year. <laughs> the first year? Yeah, in the first year. Wow. Why? So this is where I think, you know, when you're trying to choose a career path based on something you want to do, historical precedent helps. I hadn't done coding, which is a lot of what game design entails. Yeah. It's either that or there's an artistic path where you try and develop like the, the look and feel of the game. And uh, personally, I've, I've never been an artist. I'm horrible at drawing. So the coding was kind of the option I kind of took. And I think in doing it, I kind of realized it's not something that I really want to be doing. I don't want to be sitting there writing out code all every day. And I think there's people who love to do that and that's great for them. It just wasn't for me. So after I kind of picked that and realized it wasn't what I wanted to do, I kind of switched years a bit. I had choices between either I was going to think biology, psych, or business management as my three options. Yeah. And ended up picking bio as my next major. I stuck in that for about a year. That really kind of appealed to me because I like the idea of being able to help people. A lot of my friends who were in bio were going to do like medical research. Kind of really intrigued me a bit, but again, not something that I really saw myself long-term in. So after that, I kind of honed in on, okay, I'm going to stick with econ, business management. This is what I want to do. That was kind of my second choice when I was picking majors previously. And in terms of all three majors, that was definitely the one that I think I understood the language of that the most. It just made sense to me. I think it had a lot of options and opportunities in terms of like, I didn't really know specifically what I wanted to do in this field, but it definitely gave me the widest range of options. So, you know, I graduate, get through all of that and start going out into the world to work. And the biggest thing that kind of happened with that is my first job out of college, I was working as an account manager at a home healthcare company. And that was actually, I think, probably the best sales role. Was good to that a sales job? Yep, yep. Yeah, was about it. So how did you get the job? So you're coming out of school was business degree, mm-hmm. right? And then did you kind of look at that? Did you was sales even something you considered? Was you know obviously was it growing up? Right? Yeah, it wasn't something I was looking at growing up. I think so. For me, it was uh, it was definitely within the realm of options. I had a kind of like a set of, of options that I was kind of looking at. It was either sales, there was customer success roles, there was recruiting. Those were kind of the three that seemed to have the peak my interest the most. So I find this job and this job was kind of perfect. It was a jack of all trades role where what you were doing at the company essentially was you were trying to match caregivers that we hired and brought on to our company. And we were trying to sell our services to families where they had maybe a grandparent or maybe somebody with a disability who just maybe needed some help around the home, just doing regular daily tasks. And we were trying to match them with the right person to take care of that. And part of our job was to pitch and sell those services. But on top of that, we were also doing, you know, customer success where we were essentially trying to make sure that all the customers were happy with our services and could continue 
using it. We're paying our services on time. We were in charge of recruiting. We had to bring in caregivers and make sure that they were the right fit for the company. So got experience into all of these, but you know, sales above all else really stood out the most to me. And I think it was because one, you know, as a kid growing up, I played a couple of different sports, but I really centered it on golf. And I think that was because it's an independent sport. You're only dependent on yourself. Your hard work and determination really determines how far you'll go with that. And I think the same thing kind of held true in the sales role of I really liked being able to control my own destiny a bit. I could determine how successful I was. I had a few quarters there where I was the, in the top three or five sales reps across the whole company. And how many people? How many, how many sales people in this company? Uh, I think there was 60 or 70. Wow. Crushing it. This yeah. Is, this company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was good. And the fun thing about it was, you know, you're, you're constantly learning, right? You're trying to figure out what can you do better? What things can you really improve upon? And that I think was really what started to help instill or help me to show like what I could really do in this type of career path, help show my work ethic. You know, I had doubts and confidence problems, I think, going out, coming into school. And I think coming out of it and going into this job really helped build all that up. So, you know, I've been there about two years now. Didn't really see quite the upward mobility that I was really looking for. At the time, I actually lived with Joe Reeves and John Adams. Who oh, were okay. Blue. Nice. Do you, you meet them at... Uh... In college, Santa yep. Cruz. Yep. Okay. Joe Reeves actually. I uh, met him day one of Welcome Week and known him ever since. Uh, wow. I hate said yeah. that. That's right. Uh, his podcast. Yep. Yep. He and I have been together for a long time. But yeah. So I lived with them. I was telling them about you know my frustrations with the job I was in. They talked about tech sales, Memory Blue, and all these great things. I mean, I would I would always come home and see them going out to all these fun events like you know First Fridays and talk about call evals and all the different trainings that they would go through. And I was just thinking, like, man, this sounds like a, a great place to work. So I talked to them. They ended up getting me referred there, interviewed with Joe. <laughs> nice. And actually interviewed with Jeannie Ball. Too. Roommate. <laughs> Jay Ball. Yeah. I think Jeannie actually knew that I was living with Joe. So when I came for my interview, I think she purposefully tried to throw me some curveballs and get a little harder <laughs> on me. It's like, I'm not letting this guy in just because he's friends with Joe. So I kind of blacked out during my interview with her, honestly. <laughs> But, uh, yeah. you had, but you had good experience. I mean, you had great experience, great corporate experience in a sales role, not tech. And like you said, you grow up, sales roles, you grow a lot personally, mm-hmm. as well professionally. I sound like for you, it was part of that. So you got the job. Yep. Right. And what, what was it like making that transition? Because from you know what you're doing before in healthcare, working on like outbound for a tech company. So... A lot of the same skills, I think, applied, but there was definitely a new learning curve to it in the sense that so we, in my last uh, first company, we got a lot of inbound leads. So, you know, we we had partners that we were working with that would send us people that were looking for these services. And we would be still competing with like five or six different vendors to get this business. But, you know, it's a lot different when you have the lead coming to you. They already know that they need this. So you're not trying to convince them that this is something that they need. You're just trying to convince you're a better company. But in this job, it was a lot more outbound prospecting. So you're trying to get on the phone, you're grinding through these dials and you're trying to get on the phone, trying to get commit someone that they need to A, talk to you and not just hang up on you, mm-hmm. but B, also like get them to understand, hey, this is something that you know, based on what you're doing, I think could be really valuable to you. So that was a bit of a tough learning curve. I think that was where I was really grateful for the different resources and culture that Memory Blue had where... You know, I could go into scene calls with senior, more senior SDRs, ask them questions. They'd be able to kind of bounce stuff off of them. They would help me 
learn things that I maybe didn't know, propose things that I hadn't tried yet. It was a really great environment. I loved it. I loved being able to learn from everybody there. And I also love just like the culture of camaraderie. You know, yeah. I mean, just looking at the board here, you've got events for Evan March just for this office. We had a lot of that. Yeah. And that was kind of also I appreciated because at my first company, you know, we were a small tight knit group of like six people. Yeah. So really close. And I think coming here, I think I was incredibly fortunate to have my first two jobs kind of both have that aspect because the bigger the company you go and even just like the more wide it is the less that kind of exists i think mm -hmm. so i was super grateful for that and also just having great people that help build up the culture but after that unfortunately my stint here was a little bit short-lived i kind of part of me kind of wishes i had stuck around a little longer just because i think i could have learned a lot more three months yeah three months right now baby <laughs> wow i was lucky because my first clients evan and io they actually hired Mike Mishler as their uh, director of sales development at the time. So he was just building out a brand new SDR team. We had been on the client, I think, for like four months, well, three, four months at the time. And she was looking to, you know, obviously hire out a few of us. So fortunately enough, three other people that were on the team with me also got hired out. We knew we were going to be starting from scratch, obviously, which kind of, as somebody who was still kind of getting his bearings, was a little bit scary for me. Yeah. But I think I had some confidence that, you know, Mike came from here. He knew the culture. He knew how we trade. I think he could do the same things that yeah. could be offered here. And there was some opportunity there that I think would have been great for me. So I decided to take it. Mike's got a great eye for talent, too. So yeah. That's a compliment. Yeah. He, he saw you were so new mm -hmm. at Memory Blue. So, you know, you didn't get him. You were into the program. You, you, like you said, you get to the full experience. But what you did before certainly helped you. Yeah, definitely. From a business professional standpoint. Who was with you that got converted? So there was uh, Taylor Moore, T. Moore, yep, Caleb, Caleb Mills, and uh, Melanie Stewart. Oh, wow. <laughs> Caleb and Melanie. Yeah, hey, that's all strong people. Yeah, yeah, super yeah. strong team, along with you. Yeah, and that was kind of the nice, the fun thing about it was that because Evident was still very startup stage, we were the first of. I think there was one or two other SDRs that were actually at the company. We were the first ones, so we were really figuring out, you know, how do we sell this product? How do we get people's attention? We had to trying to determine our own prospects, our own personas we were trying to target. So it was a fun experience. We all got to experiment. It was definitely a lot of learning that came out of that. And I loved it. But get hired at Evident. So we're starting there. I stayed there for about a year. And I loved working there. I think it was a great place to kind of grow. But I think the more I kind of got into sales, and I really, you know, I had found a lot of success there. But I think at the same time, I realized maybe this wasn't 100% the job that I wanted to do long term. I think for me, that realization kind of came in the form of, you know, people love the, the competitiveness. I love the competitiveness. But I think the difference between what I was doing at my, my previous job and here was that we didn't have a quota that we were necessarily trying to keep to the entire time. And I think that, honestly, I think that stress kind of was what wore me down a little bit over time. I think some people probably handle it better than I did. But as I kind of came toward the end of my one year there, I kind of started to think, like, what are some things that maybe... I could do that would maybe not cause me as much stress and I could still enjoy as much as I'm loving this. So sales, somebody there actually who was a good friend of mine at the time was talking about who his name was a keyhole. He was okay. at Evident, but yeah, he, um, he worked at Evident. Yeah. He worked okay. at Evident. He suggested, you know, Hey man, you're super logical. You love to be very strategic about how you attack things. I think you'd be good at sales operations. And I hadn't even heard of sales ops at the time. We just hired one person for sales ops there too. So I kind of, started exploring that a little bit. I actually asked the guy who was our director of sales ops about what that is. And he kind of gave me the rundown of like sales operations. It kind of was broken into 
you know, three, I would say, main pathways that you can take about it. There's like more traditional and regional sales operations, which is like you're working directly with AEs and AE managers. You're doing forecasting, planning and performance, quota planning, territory planning, all of those things. You're very much like a direct partner to sales operations or to the sales team. And I think you are in all of these roles, but I think that's like we're working the most closely with them. The other one is more sales enablement and training. You're trying to develop curriculum. You help onboard new reps. That was another pathway. The third one, which he kind of didn't mention, this is one that I kind of learned about later is it's kind of like program development because this is all about how do you help the sales team of sell more effectively? Because effectively, you know, there could be sales reps that are spending 10, 20 hours a week on entering stuff in the CRM, maybe, or they have to spend it on another tool grinding out all these different documents and stuff like yeah. that. We want to try and save them as much time as possible because they need to be out there selling to customers. We don't want them to be developed doing it on things that maybe could be automated, taken care of with a tool, or maybe we could hire another team that takes care of that. So those were the three options I kind of looked at. Hold on. This is great. protocol. I like how well prepared you are. So it's great you're reading from your notes. This is amazing. <clears throat> Most people don't prepare. That's probably what you got out of sales. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you're why you're all this is happening too, like you're a high performing SDR, right? And for the folks listening out there, people who are considering getting into other paths, if we're going to talk more about sales ops. Yeah. How important do you think it was for you to be an SDR and be good at it for you to have these conversations with somebody in, in a company who already worked about doing something else? Oh, it's incredibly important. I mean, the thing about sales operations is that you have to know how the sales process works, how to target customers, what people do in their day-to-day jobs, which of these things are considered important tasks for them to do versus not. Because a lot of what you do in sales ops too is about, you have to ask the sales team to do more for you too. We work with a lot with data. Data influences our decisions. We get that data from the sales team. But you have to ask yourself, you know, is, if I'm asking the sales team to enter these data points, is it worthwhile for me to do that? Is it it's going to take a lot of their time away? Do I want to do that to them? Is it going to help benefit the company? Is it going to benefit me? So having that understanding of this is what salespeople do, this is what's most important to them, kind of helps me have a unique perspective in terms of when I'm talking with my other colleagues and they want to do something, I can actually offer up a perspective that they may not even know. A lot of times we go to the sales reps for that perspective and now I can kind of offer it myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you made that transition, talk to us about how you made the transition. So we'll talk, we'll get back to the subject matter, but so you're an SDR, you have memory glue for a quarter, then you're evident and evident got acquired, right? Mm-hmm. By Palo Alto. Was That's that, right. Were you there for that? And what was that like? What was that, what was that experience like? I was. So that was, uh, it was a, definitely a tough kind of experience, I would say. So typically as part of an acquisition, there's a bit of reduction in force. So I was unfortunately one of the people who was let go as part mm-hmm. of that acquisition. And it was definitely looking back on it, a big growing point for me. But I think there were definitely a lot of low points. I think after that, you know, you kind of, you're, you're building up your confidence as a new person, fresh out of college or starting to get into the workforce, you know, you're starting to learn what you can be good at, what you can't be good at. Yeah. And then boom, like all that stuff that you did, all that work you did is kind of gone. And I'd say, not to say it's a bad thing, of course, but maybe that's how you feel at the time. Right. But that's not yeah, how it turned out. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And it kind of, I think it, the blessing in disguise there was there was the thing with sales operations is that the bigger the company, the more you need sales ops, but at evidence size, there was only enough real need for one person. And that person was never going to hire a second person. And, I don't think they would have hired someone as junior as me at the time to do that anyway. So they kind of knew you were going to, you had a wandering eye, right? You wanted to make the move. 
yeah. in the sales ops. So tell us how you made that happen. Acquisition, like I'll call there. My guess is that Collins is really good at his job or could be good at his really great at his job. We know he doesn't want to stick to this. Yeah. Right. So you said, okay, I'm going to go find my way. Yep. Yep. I'm going to go find my way. I'm going to venture out. So started out, I mean, I was lucky that I was able to get some time that evident before the acquisition happened where the director, our director of sales ops gave me some good first tips on what we had to focus on. So I spent a lot of my time free time while I was still yeah. working there, <laughs> even after I yeah. let go. So the three things that he kind of emphasized was sales ops is a lot of data manipulation. So Excel skills are an absolute must. There's plenty of courses out there for that. I took a couple of those to kind of get myself more familiar with it, doing data manipulation. I actually had a really good friend of mine who was in ops as well. He and I spent like two or three days just going through all the basics. He taught me oh, wow. pretty much it, a lot of skills that I still use today in sales ops. So I kind of reached out to my network a lot, used them to try and help influence like what they do with data, what they do in operations that I can kind of help focus on. The other thing that I kind of learned is Salesforce is a very, very unique and very needed for this. So I'm talking less about like entering leads or creating opportunities, but more about like, how do you set up a Salesforce platform? How do you create reports and dashboards to get to the data that you want? How do you understand the requirements for the sales team and then get that data out of the system for them? And then the third thing is backend sales processes and terminology. This A lot of this stuff kind of came from being an SDR, but I think if you're an account executive, you get a bit more of that. So I kind of reached out to my network too and tried to talk with some AEs to really understand like just a little bit more of that. And I think that was the biggest determination of success for me because when I was going into these interviews for sales ops jobs, you know, having sales experience obviously helps a bit, but what they really look for is like, well, you're making this transition. Why are you making this transition? Mm -hmm. If you're a sales rep, obviously that's great, but we need different skills than that. And having that, spent that extra time to really learn those skills in Excel and Salesforce and whatnot, that really kind of helped me get through to people that I was not just doing this on a whim, like, hey, I'm really invested in this. So who, who paid for these courses? Yeah, I paid for them myself. For in these were Excel courses and Salesforce courses? Yeah, they were all online. I did a couple of Coursera courses, Udemy, wherever I could find them. There's plenty of great resources out there today, which is really helpful for that. But yeah, that was most of how I kind of funded it myself. Yeah, so I think that speaks a lot mm -hmm. about uh, someone who's committed to making a change. Many people want to make a change, but they don't want to invest in themselves. They want their employer to do that. Yep. Right? Here you are taking your time, your money, and you're making that investment and that sends a signal that that's what you want to do and that you're willing to invest in yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. And that was kind of the message that I was conveying in all of my interviews was, you know, I'm really dedicated to this. I'm really trying. Obviously I kind of come with a caveat of, Hey, I'm, I'm junior at this. I do need some training and some coaching, but if you're willing to invest in me, I promise you'll get everything I've got. So I kind of piggyback off of like, Hey, I've, I've shown success in what I've done before. I sure do, I believe I can do this here too. Yeah, I mean, it's not being an SDR is not an easy thing to do. It's mm -hmm. a difficult job in a different kind of way. I like how you really leverage your network too. Yeah, yeah, right. So you went out and you found people who are doing the roles. Yeah, at other companies or you know, or people who are uh, adjacent to the role, like your A people, you know, who are A's, maybe A's you're booking meetings for. Yeah, know, right. And you got a lot of knowledge, and you can go on interview. You talk about investing in yourself, the classes and programs, and then all this organic grassroots grassroots material since you're serious about it and you can talk more fluently in an interview yep
If you're competitive, driven, and curious, it's time to consider a professional sales opportunity that your future self will thank you for. With an unmatched training program and a tradition of elevating our people, Memory Blue has helped hundreds of successful professionals launch lucrative tech sales careers. You will grow highly marketable skills through ongoing mentorship from seasoned sales leaders while showcasing your abilities for tech industry royalty and some of the hottest startups around. And you'll do it all surrounded by driven, like-minded colleagues immersed in our award-winning company culture. As your tenure progresses, you will attract a host of career options. This includes moving up internally or venturing out into the tech industry, where tech companies pay a premium for Memory Blue experience. We have immediate openings in our offices from coast to coast. Visit memoryblue.com SDR and apply today. How'd you end up at Forescout? So that was actually another example of leveraging my network. So there was a person at my last company that I was really close with. She was uh, an executive and she reached out to me after the acquisition and said like, hey, I would love to help you and see if I can find any roles for you. I let her know, yeah, that'd be great. I'm looking at sales operations roles. She had a contact at Forescout actually, who was on the team that I, or she was the manager to my manager that I actually ended up working for. And she referred me to her. So basically got me into the role there. And thank God for that, because truthfully, in that role, there was two other people that I was competing with. Both were internal candidates. Both had apparently high-level executive backing as well. So I don't think without that referral. Within the company. Yeah, within the yeah. company. So I don't think without that referral, I would have had as good of a chance. You know, it's hard to compete against that when you've already got somebody who's within there backing you up. So. That was super helpful. And the interviewed really well. Yeah. Must have been well prepared <laughs> by this podcast. Yep. Yep. I definitely had to make sure I came very well prepared. The interview process was, it wasn't as technical as I was expecting it to be. They t- focused a lot more on just wanting to make sure that, that the person I was, was the person they were looking for in terms of work ethic. Mm-hmm. Because my manager, she was very, uh, she was very much more about, I don't need people who think that they already know how to do things. I'd rather show them how to do things my way. And I think that really kind of melded well with me because I was looking to learn and she was looking to teach. Wow. Got it. All right. So tell us about the role. Tell us about your first role. I mean, this is the first time ever in the podcast. I could be I'm forgetting someone. Please apologize. We have over 100 people on it. What was your first sales operations job and what were you doing? I mean, I work with sales off field with Mary Blue, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was an interesting role. So there was two programs that they were looking to launch. One of them was for... Kind of like an internal concierge service that you said white glove service. Yep. White glove service that basically helps get sales reps the information that they need. We build internal process sites and processes that would help basically get them to the info that they need. Because a lot of, I guess a lot of the problems that they were having was all the info that sales reps need is not documented anywhere and there's no concise way to get it to them. So that was kind of like a delivery mechanism and delivery service that way. And then the second one was we were trying to develop an RFP program. Uh, and for people who don't know what RFPs are, it's basically called request for proposal. So your company, you know, we want to, we were a cybersecurity company. So you want a cybersecurity tool. We're going to send out this document that's a questionnaire to, you know, 30 vendors. We want you to answer the questions as best you can and send it back to us. And we'll narrow down the list of contenders to five based on your responses. So obviously you got to become with your best game packed and ready to go. The way you answer those questions determines whether or not you can get the business. Right now, we were having everybody answer those RFPs kind of on their own. It was like the wild, wild west. Some people, obviously, who were very tenured were very good at this and didn't really need any help. But then there were people who were 
much more junior who didn't know how to answer the questions well. And there was like a whole business case built around, I guess, this one RFP where the C-suite executive we were working with basically got back to them and said, like, your responses were not great. And that's why we're not taking you. So they built a program based off of that. And they wanted me to be the person that kind of developed it and delivered it to the company. So Core Scouts got RFP opportunities to make sure I understand this. And the RFPs were answered varying degrees of quality, right? Based on the tenure of the rep and the companies lose business. Yeah. Because they're losing out on RFPs because you get junior AEs who don't know how to answer these RFPs. Yep. So they're like sales ops guy. And this is, you get a huge impact on the organization. Come in and what you have to do, automate the process or like what, what is, so how, how does that happen? So it's about basically building a program that can both scale and you can operationalize really easily. So we started out by first. Let's say for people who are listening, they say someone scale. Some people don't know what that means. What, is yeah. it, what, what does that mean? Yeah, it's fair. Um, so by scale, it's like as the company grows, the program can grow with it easily without having to invest in more people, more products, more money. You want to basically get an upfront program that's going to be able to grow as your company grows. Okay. Right, okay, got it. And so the company wants that could skip grows with the R, number of RFPs that are coming in. Yeah. Or you can do it across all, all the reps. Maybe start with 10 and do it across 1,000 or whatever the number is. Yeah. And then automate it? Is that or Automation was eventually the future goal. We kind of started yeah. out with a bit more manual until we got there. But basically, you have to start with that. You have blank slate. And we had to start building up this database of question and answers that would basically be able to be reused. Because if you look at RFPs in most industries, the questions kind of get recycled. Mm-hmm. They might be worded differently, but they're essentially the same question. So you can really get, you want to get the best of your best answers, put those into a database and then use, reuse those out for the rest of the company. And that basically, that's how we started out with it. We had about a tool that was able to do that. I helped build the database, worked with sales reps to make sure we got the best responses. And then from there, I kind of worked as like a, this is where the white glove service part kind of comes yeah. in, basically helped them to find the right answers for all their RFPs, make sure we develop, work with them to develop the correct answers and then kind of draft it up. Because these come in different forms. There's questionnaires, there's sometimes essay responses. So we were basically drafting and putting out maybe a couple, like 100 RFPs a year or so, I think was like the peak of what we were doing. Yeah, wow. And I think in total company influence, I think we were built, bringing in, helping bring in over 50 million a year or something. Wow. Yeah, you wouldn't, those RFPs can be significant wins. Yeah, yeah. Because some of these are Fortune 500 companies that would eventually purchase, you know, six or seven bigger deals from you based off that opportunity. And what was that problem? So what was it like learning that job? So you had no experience doing it. You're basically in two sales roles before. Yeah. You're kind of self-taught sales ops guy, and you're thrown into a project that has some impact. Yeah. It's a definitely a mind shift or a shift in the kind of the way you think. So in in sales, I mean, obviously you're it's much more about like you're you're grinding it out. You have to continually make sure it's much more action focused. Like don't think about it, just get on the phone, start calling people, make sure you know what you want to say when you get on the phone with somebody, and don't get discouraged if you get shut down. This is a little bit less about, it's less about taking action and more about thinking about this, like strategize how you're going to do these things and then do it. Because, And I think that that was a bit of a mind shift for me was I was just used to getting something and then just trying to do something about it immediately. But I had to kind of learn to take a step back, slow myself down a bit and think, okay, what's really the best way to go about this? And that's honestly something that I still do to this day. I'll sometimes get a task and then immediately just do something about it and then realize oh, I did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. It happens quite a bit. More cerebral. I, yeah, yeah, I did that this morning. You know, <laughs> it happens. So, all right, 
Did you make some mistakes along the way? Did you learn, have some learning opportunities? What's like a takeaway, a big takeaway from that first job? Was you just was you just told me was it something else? The biggest takeaway I would say is well, one, be patient, because I think the that was one of the biggest things that I would get really impatient with getting something and then having to be like you said, be more cerebral about it, take time to think about this. I just wanted to start doing things. I wanted to be action based. That was what I was always taught. That was the last two or three years of my life. Yeah, and working. And patience, I think, really helped me get through that, learning to slow myself down a bit. Um, and then also not being afraid to ask for help. I think yeah. me, I only knew so much from my previous experience. A lot of what you do in sales operations, I will say you learn on the job, and that's okay. But I think it's about being comfortable asking for help with that. And I think that's something that I kind of struggle with a bit because one of the things that I think after the acquisition at Evident, one of the things I kind of struggled with if it was like imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. thinking that, you know, my success up until this point wasn't really earned. It was kind of luck. And I think going into this first job, I kind of had that same mentality. So I, I had a hard time at first asking for help. I thought to myself, like, I'm just lucky to be here. Why am I going to, I shouldn't ask these people for help. I don't want them to think I'm a fraud or something. Once I kind of got past that and started to ask for help, things got a lot easier. And I think we all kind of deal with imposter syndrome in some way, shape, or form throughout yeah. our career. Mm -hmm. But it's about like learning to quiet that inner critic and kind of talking to yourself in a more positive way. Yeah, sounds like it. So, well, how did you kind of how does it work? So, when you're in sales ops, you're, you execute on this program. You then maintain that program, and you take on other tasks. The organization. Yeah, and, and, then, and then where do you go? Like, what's the goal when you're in that role? You know, SDRs want to get promoted, right? Mm -hmm. Close. So when you're in sales ops, how do you kind of develop and, and what do you go after? Like, how, how do you look at that? So, yeah. So it, it really depends. I think sales ops is a, is a bit unique in the sense that you kind of have to continue. You kind of sometimes have to look for your own work. It's really about, what would I call this? It's kind of like your, your analysis skills really get tested. Like mm -hmm. you're going to get a lot of insight views into how the company works, how these processes work. And I think a lot of your success will kind of be built off of your ability to look at the situation, identify where there might be some gaps or maybe some issues that could potentially be made better. And then you kind of go to your, your manager about that and you say, hey, I, I've noticed this. I think this could be good, improved if we were to do X. And that's the way that I've kind of been taught that really determines how you can move up in the company being able to propose these things and identify these things, that's what leadership is kind of looking for. And that's what your job is as sales ops. You want to find the things that are causing problems, identify them, and then solve them. So really being able to develop that analytical skill set, it'll happen through time if you're yeah. as you're working through the job, but that's something I really... It took me a while to kind of realize that's what you have to do. And if there was one thing I wish I could tell my younger self, it's to start out with that mentality. Yeah, but it's hard, right? So you're going to get the experience. What are some examples of other things you've worked on that have impacted the business when you were at Forescout? So the the nice thing about it was that working at a smaller company like that, you kind of you kind of still are in a jack of all trades kind of role where you wear a lot of different hats. So I got to work on a bunch of different programs. Like I handled our new hire onboarding program. I developed curriculum for making sure that they had all the resources necessary to succeed, or at least onboard and understand the products. I was able to help with developing new training programs for them. We eventually started, and this is kind of what segues into what I do today is mm -hmm. towards the end of my last six to eight months there, I got to work in a bit more of like a tools focused job mm -hmm. where we were kind of looking at, okay, what are some of the problems that we're having as a company that we could potentially solve by purchasing a tool for? 
And obviously this has to go through a lot of scrutiny because you're, you're spending the company's money. But one of the things that we were trying to solve for at the time was we had a lot of resources out there, right? We had data sheets, white papers, all these things that talked about like what our product does. It was a super technical product. So you have all these resources, too many, honestly, to really memorize for any sales rep. Mm-hmm. We wanted a way to kind of track like what of these resources that we're sending out are either A, catching on with customers, what information really resonates with them. And then, you know, which of the personas that we're sending this to, whether it's like a CEO level, a VP, a director, what are those things really helps them close the deal? What caused catches their interest? So we purchased a tool to kind of help us do that. And that was responsible for identifying the two tools that we were evaluating and implementing the tool before I ended up leaving. What tools are these? Like, so people understand, like, so you're, and you're talking to the mind of an, of an SDR and maybe I don't know what about sales ops. What te- types of technology? So Salesforce, we know about Salesforce, just in CRM, but what else? I don't remember what the specific tool was yeah. called, to be honest. What it's, areas is it? It's kind of like it's kind of like marketing, I would say. Like, it's yeah. just, I think one of the tools was called Sixth Sense. Okay, but it's uh, essentially a tool that it's going to be. It's you know how SDR prospecting tools can track emails that are sent to customers and which ones they're read, how many yeah. times they're read. It essentially does that, but for marketing information. Okay. So all the data sheets, white papers you send out to a customer, this tool is able to track, hey, they read this one for two hours. Yeah. The rest of them they read for like 10 minutes. Okay, dive into that one. Which pages did they read the longest? So that gives you insight into this person's really interested in X, especially. So it can help the sales rep be more effective. And when they go to the next conversation, they're armed with more information. Is there a piece of like all these things you're doing that appeals to you the most? Yeah, so that was where... I was working with systems and tools, getting to implement them, kind of developing a strategy for how we were going to use it. That really piqued my interest. And then systems and tools that the Salesforce used, systems and tools that sales ops used to help Salesforce. Both. Both. Okay. Both. Yeah. So it, really anything along that. It's really about just making the company mm-hmm. more effective, helping drive revenue, all of those things. But the, at the time with Forescout, we were kind of going through our own acquisition, like this hadn't affected me in any way, but mm-hmm. I think budgets were getting cut. There was, uh, you know, not as much upward mobility as I might have liked. So I was looking into other jobs and I found this job at LinkedIn that was perfect. It was exactly what I was looking for. It was specifically around systems and tools. And I applied for that. And mind you, I think throughout my entire job, I'd applied to LinkedIn like 10 or 15 times. Yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to work there because I had yeah. great things about it. And I never got past the bots. <laughs> it's uh, that was a tough one, yeah. but this time, you know, I was confident. I had some experience. I knew more about how to get past those bots. <laughs> so I put a lot of effort into this. I made sure I drafted like three different resumes. I think for this one until I finally found one that I liked. Submitted it. Gone to the interviews, and I think. This one overall was definitely one of the tougher interviews I think that I've ever been through because LinkedIn, you know, this, yeah, good, yeah. Tell us about LinkedIn. Like, why was LinkedIn such an important place for you to work? It, so, for that, it was, I'd had friends and friends of friends that had worked there and they just raved about the culture. Mm-hmm. They raved about you know, the benefits, the emphasis on like teamwork, collaboration. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was coaching. Like, I think. And looking for something that I'd had in both Memory Blue and my first job, mm-hmm. this was going to be the closest thing that I ever gotten from a sales ops perspective. And the coaching thing really spoke to me because I was really interested in going into this field. But at the same time, like sales ops, there's so much you can do, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of 
explore that more. But that was what it really interested me. But every job at LinkedIn I'm looking at is like a hundred plus applicants. And I'm just like, I don't know how the heck I'm ever going to get past yeah. this. So yeah. So you figure out a way to get past it. Yep. Figure out a way to get past it. it. You were talking, you brought in jump into your first interview or your first opportunity at LinkedIn. Yep. Yep. The interviews there, the whole process is a lot more strenuous. They do you know, case interviews, on the spot questions where they want you to be able to solve a very particular situation. They send you with this take home case study where you have to develop a whole slide deck presented to a panel of people. Definitely a lot more than, than I had done in previous interviews, which was challenging, but also, I guess, kind of fun in some ways. And what tells about the role? So this role is specifically, there's a, it's a team that specifically is devoted to helping the sales org with systems and tools rollouts. And this is kind of the difference between working at a company of LinkedIn size, where I think we're at like 16,000 employees versus Forescout, which is you know, sub a thousand. There's this team basically has to oversee, you know, dozens of tools and we're constantly releasing new tools. We're constantly implementing new tools. We're releasing new enhancements for these tools. So you have a whole team that's essentially in charge of the strategy of how do we define which of these enhancements are the most important for us? Which enhancements do we need to solve business problems? How do we work with engineering to get those into the roadmap? All of these different things. So that's kind of along the lines of what I do. And the nice thing about it is that I specifically support the SDR team. Oh, so, well, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's nice. And so what kind of tools are you looking at to arm your SDRs with? So it's more of the interesting thing about LinkedIn is that we, a lot of companies purchase tools externally and bring them in. Yep. LinkedIn is all about building their own tools. Oh, I see. So a lot of the stuff we use with the exception of a few things, like we have our own outreach tools that we buy from other companies and whatnot. But the interesting fact about that is that we have a lot more input into the strategy. So if you ever have a, com- a product that you buy from another company, you can't go to that company and say, hey, I want you to build this feature for me. They have thousands of other customers right. that have other things. But with us, we can go to the te- engineering team and say, hey, we would really love this. And they'll say, okay, build a business case for it. Define why it's important. What's the return on investment if we were to do this? So it's a lot more, you have a lot more inputs into what you want to do with these tools, what you think is good for the tools and what's good for the SDRs, essentially. So what, well, what are the SDRs trying to, like, what are you trying to, like, what are they struggling with that you're trying to solve for the SDRs? So... It's a lot of different, it's kind of what I said at the beginning, right? With sales ops, you're trying to identify where they're spending the most time that doesn't involve selling. Yep. And then how can you possibly improve that? So one of the issues that we were having was, um, so for context, we were doing this big CRM migration. There's, you know, changes that are going in left and right. We have new tools that are being integrated in. So they're trying to understand, like, they have all these processes that are spending like 10 or 20 hours a week on maybe creating new accounts that don't exist in the system. They have to get those accounts verified. How do we possibly automate that? How do we possibly make that easier for them? So I have to work with other teams that are in charge of creating the accounts or they fill the systems for that and identify areas where we can potentially improve upon that. Interesting. Sounds like a well-oiled machine over there. Yeah, yeah, it can be. It's definitely, the nice thing about it is because of the scale of the company, it allows you to be much more specialized. Mm -hmm. So... That's where I love my SDR experience. It gives me such a unique insight into what these guys do. I'll be in calls with people and they'll try and make assumptions about SDRs. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's <laughs> not how they do that. <laughs> so it's definitely been a, it's a, it was a nice kind of coming boomerang kind of situation where all the experience I kind of got really has pulled together super well. And I'm, I'm loving what I get to do today. It's awesome that you're at the company where you want to work in the function of business you want to work in. Kind of what sounded like what got you in was 
part of it was your SDR experience, mm-hmm. right? Because there are going to be as many people with that type of experience that you're competing with. Yeah. With everything else that we talked about from the beginning, the ability or the, the drive to invest in yourself, use it, use it on the network. You had a good run for Scout. You're there for near, near, over three and a half years. So you probably got to see and do a bunch of different things, which this person's committed to the cause. And then you can get into an interview and take this technical ops experience you learned at Forescout. You just kind of mentioned that stuff. Sounds like capturing or analyzing where sales ops are, where you can impact the business. That's really key in LinkedIn. If you just describe the process they have, you want an enhancement or a tweak or something to an internal system, you've got to build a business case. Yeah. Also lots of analysis mm-hmm. right around it does, yeah. And the the one thing I would say, if if I was explaining what I did today to the person I was back at being an SDR and trying to connect those two dots, I think the per- person to me in the past would be very feel very daunted by that. And the one thing I'll say to you know anybody who's maybe considering mm-hmm. a sales ops career path and listening to me and thinking this sounds really complicated, don't think about it too much. Everything that I can talk about today, I learned in the last year. I think a lot of the experience I had from my first job definitely poured it over to that. Mm-hmm. But it's not so much that it's not so much to overcome that it's impossible, and it's not even that hard. Just be upfront and honest that you're here to learn and you want to learn, and that's people want to teach. You know, that's one of the things I learned is that people in this industry really want to be able to teach you. So it definitely helps a lot. And how technical are you? I wouldn't say I'm super technical, if I'm being honest. I think. There's a lot of questions that I have. I go to people who are technical. Okay. You're not expected to be super in-depth, knowledgeable about anything technical in this role. It's much more about just the way you think. The way you think is all that determines your success here. Being more strategy-focused, being more cerebral, more analytical. That's all that it's about. And you, you develop those skills as you kind of grow more into the role. So you don't have to have a technical background or any sort of technical knowledge, I think, to be successful. More process-oriented, though. Yes, definitely more process oriented. Interesting. So what advice would you give the SDR who's like, you know what, this is a great foot in the door for the industry. Don't want to be an SDR, don't want to be an SDR leader, don't want to be an AE. I just like the ops. I'm I'm interested in operations. How do you make that leap? What advice would you give? So I think the same advice that I kind of got when I was first starting out and it was super helpful is one, data analysis is very important. I think no matter what job I've been in, Excel has been a very big part of that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. learn your basics, learn your formulas, learn your hotkeys, how to use that. There's a lot of courses out there that will teach you all that. and It's not that hard. Spend your time learning that. Salesforce is super integral to almost all companies unless you're LinkedIn and you're Microsoft. <laughs> learn Salesforce. If you have it and you need to go get a Salesforce admin certification, there's free courses out there that you can take that will teach you all of this stuff. Yep. And that'll, that's a job instantly. There are careers out there that are just built around Salesforce. If you want to do that, that's super helpful too. And then leverage your network as an SDR with AEs. They, the thing about being an AE is it's easy to port into being sales ops because you work so closely with them at that level. SDRs, you don't really get as much of that. So learn as much about what AEs do as you can, because that experience also really helps in just being able to make that leap into that role. I think those three things, if you have that and you just have the gritty, keep the gritty attitude of being an SDR, people will be chomping at the bit to hire you. Where do you go from here? Oh, that's a great question. (laughs) I think I'm loving what I'm doing right now. I definitely want to stick it out for a bit. That's the benefit about working at LinkedIn that I really love is that people love to jump teams, get a bunch of different experience there. And I think that fits my personality really well. I can stay there for a few years, 
work on four or five different teams and kind of take all that experience together and then see where I want to go next. That's great. Very good. Colin, been fascinating. Yeah. A whole new world. Sales ops. Yeah. Thank you guys. It's been great to be on here. I appreciate you inviting me to join. Absolutely. And for the listeners, as of, you know, we're a hundred plus alums into this podcast. Right now you have the title of most prepared. So we, we appreciate the prep work that you, you put into coming on. Hey, being prepared is definitely part of the job where I come from. So awesome. Very good. Well, thank you. Thanks, Colin. Thank you guys. Memory Blue alumni, are you looking for your next top performing SDR with the competitive drive, hustle mentality, and passion for sales that you can bank on? The Rising Stars program connects accomplished Memory Blue SDRs with alumni looking to expand their teams. Rising Stars have completed their SDR journey with us and are chomping at the bit to land a new and exciting high-tech sales opportunity. They've been professionally trained, coached, and mentored thriving in the very environment where you launched your career. Alumni like you hire Memory Blue Rising Stars because they can rest easy knowing they're hiring the best in the business. Learn how you can access this unique pool of sales talent by heading to memoryblue.com slash alumni. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep. Thank you.